0: Good evening. Take your Bibles and turn to 1st Timothy chapter 3. 1st Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 14. I'll give you a minute to get there. Thank you for the opportunity Brother Scott and church for allowing me to be here this evening and deliver the word. Starting here in verse 14. And these things I uh, these things write I unto you hoping To come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, Lord, I, I pray that you'll be with us here this evening, Lord. I pray that you'll meet with us. I pray that if there's anything on our mind weighing on us or vexing on us, Lord, that you give us the strength to set those things aside as we focus in again and feed upon your word, Lord. May you show us today in your word our position in this world. May you show us today the responsibility that we have to be the pillar and ground of the truth in this world. Lord, bless this conference. Continue to bless the preachers that get up here and deliver this word. Lord, help us to see in uncertain times how desperately this world needs the gospel. And give us passion for your word. Give us passion for truth. Give us boldness to stand in these last days. Lord, we give thanks to you and praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. In early 2019, the New York Times began to run a series of commercials. Their line was truth has a voice. They not only promoted that truth had a voice, but they promoted that they were the source of truth. Their campaign slogan ran like this: They said, Truth has power. Truth will not be threatened. Truth has a voice. Truth will not be overlooked. These verses that we just read a few moments ago could not even agree even more with what the New York Times was saying about truth. Truth does have power. Truth will not be destroyed. Truth does have a voice. But it's not because the New York Times claims that they are the source of truth. It's because that the source of truth has a power from outside of this world. We have the truth of God's word. Therefore, the truth will always have power. The truth will not be destroyed because we are promised that we will always have God's word. And the voice of truth will never be destroyed because Matthew. 16 and 18 says the church will not be destroyed. Does the truth have the voice? Indeed, it does. The voice of truth today is the church. The church stands as the voice of truth. The only question that could be asked today, since there is such a question in society, is what is truth, and how did a secular news company become the proclaiming? source of it. You know, as we, even in these days here, in these last several months, we've been heartbroken as we've seen several countries under attack for their faith. We've seen Christian brothers and sisters being put to death as they stood for truth. Our hearts hurted for them. We, we cried for them. We wept for them as they lost their life. They lost their life for one thing, truth. Why? Because they stood upon it. It meant all the world to them that they was willing to give their entire life for it. We don't even understand this in some ways. We we can't even process the concept of what it means to lose your life right in front of your family for the truth that is in this word, for the truth that we proclaim in our hearts. We say we love the word of God. We cling to the word of God. We say that the truth and the power is in this word, yet we don't understand what it means when we walk. Out of this building tonight There's no worry about army tanks out here There's no worry about armed soldiers We do not have to hide our Bibles We don't have any worry About the truth at all And my my point is that this Is I'm worried that And this is one of my greatest fears In America today Because there is no threat against truth Physically that truth has taken A back seat in our mind In our hearts because We have closed our eyes to the reality That truth is under attack. Truth is under attack today for us. It's fear, it's the fears that it's promoted, that is promoted within us, that there's no reason to fear at all. What is the concern of the church today? What has the, the churches today so overwhelmed, so consumed? What drives us? What is the chatter in the background? What do we hear about being talked in the parking lot? We're worried about the sword. The sword, meaning we're running around panicking about shots. We're running around panicking about, are we going to lose our right to bear arms? We're worried about, are we are we going to lose our freedoms in America? And these are the things that have so consumed us. And listen, I'm a patriot. I love our freedoms and I love our rights, but I love truth more. I love the word of God more than I do all the things that we experience in this life we have taken many churches have taken a back seat and allowed truth to be compromised and they're around their family they hear their family mock the word of God they hear people in the world mock the word of God and instead of standing up and emboldened in defending the truth with the power that is in the word of God we take a back seat we muzzle our lips we don't we're not willing to engage confrontation over what has changed our lives has it not changed our lives? We proclaim that the word of God changed our lives. We proclaim that this gospel has made all the difference in the world. Yet when people mock it, yet when people ridicule it, we shut our mouths. Do we even realize the one who's standing here saying that the word of God is the pillar of the ground of truth was once a persecutor, was once a murderer, was once a condemner of Christians, and yet the gospel has done something mighty in his life. And we read of his own account how the church must stand for truth yet it's coming from the lips of a former persecutor truth has taken a stage today of personal opinion where it used to be a hard line it used to be based on God's word now truth today is based upon feelings Uh, truth today is based upon current situations life situations truth is based upon ideas and by the way this is nothing new today. When Paul wrote to Timothy in this pastoral epistle, it was because he understood the need of the people at Ephesus. He understood the need of the church. He understood the times, and they're not much different times than today. He said, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Paul is expressing to Timothy here, it is my desire to get to you shortly. But I write this epistle unto you so that you'll realize the importance of all of what is at stake. Just in case I don't make it to you, I need to know, I need you to understand and be reaffirmed again on the value of truth. And listen. This is something for all of our lives. There comes times as we live our Christian lives that we need to be reminded the value of truth. And there are times in our Christian lives that we need to be reminded about the power of truth. We need to be reminded about the power of the word of God. But Paul's telling Timothy, just in case I tarry long, and just in case I don't make it to you, Timothy, cling to truth. The church at Ephesus faced uh, faced this time, and it this, this was facing many different issues, many different false gods, many different idols. And in this letter, when Paul opens this up in the very beginning to Timothy, it, there's all of this doctrine that built up to this very moment. When he opens up this, this epistle here, he tells them in verse 1 of chapter 1, but he reminds Timothy, Timothy, Christ is our hope. He goes on to remind him, son, don't give in to all of this false teaching. Son, don't teach any other doctrine unless it be in Scripture. Timothy, I know that these people that you're facing against in this time, I understand they're wicked. I understand they're idol worshipers. I understand what you're saying, but Timothy, be reminded, so was I and this was the condition of me but God changed my life. Timothy when you look at these idol worshippers when you look at these people who are pursuing after Diana, remind yourself of me and how God changed me and by the way Timothy, if you're worried about the condition of the leaders of your day you know what, we should pray for all men, we should be praying for all our leaders even if they don't agree with the word of God, even if they're leading this country and it's the exact opposite of the way the word of God says Timothy I have the answer for the leaders of your time pray for them and by the way Timothy as he comes into this chapter here he closes out this chapter he makes it clear Timothy you understand what it means you've seen what it means to have a godly preacher and we see what it means to be a godly deacon you see what all of these look like Timothy and these are the doctrines I want you to hold to Timothy this is the doctrines I want you to cling to and by the way and just to know this some of the most ungodly people i have met since i've been saved are preachers some of the meanest people i have met since i've been saved are preachers and by the way some of the greatest men i have met since i've been saved are preachers and some of the people who've loved me they gave their time to me and they gave me books and they've talked to me they've counseled me they give concern to me some of the greatest men i've met since i been saved are preachers. You know, some of the people I've seen cause more harm to church since I've been saved are ungodly deacons. And you know what else I've seen? People who are in the church, deacons in the church who love the Lord, who know their position in the church. They've been some of the greatest blessings, the churches I have ever seen in my life. But do you know how preachers get to a place where they're unbiblical? Do you know how preachers get to a place where they behave ill towards church members do you know where deacons get to this place where they think that they can just behave however they want in the church because they have a title somewhere along the line they've abandoned truth because truth truth calls us to toe the line truth engages our conduct and that's what Paul is getting ready to say here in verse 14 truth tells us how we should behave and truth tells us how we should care for people. And truth tells us how we behave in a society that seems to be so wicked. In verse 14, let's read it again. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. How the church should behave. When Paul is telling Timothy, I besought thee to tell them that they teach no other doctrine. Why would you even have to tell a pastor that? Timothy, uh, beseech them, I beseech you, don't teach any other doctrine. Why? Because truth was under attack. And even today, truth is under attack lines are being crossed people are softening the message the church is looking like the world and the world is looking like the church whenever we see this close relation between the church and the world you know we're in dangerous times for both and whenever we see these times we know that there's a cause for great Concern. Isaiah faced this too, even in his own ministry. Back in Isaiah chapter fifty-nine, you know, when we when we look at Isaiah fifty-nine and we work through that chapter. We begin to realize that the issues that that Isaiah was faced facing are very closely related to this issue here at hand. In Isaiah chapter 59, the nation's sin had separated them from God. They were not pleading for truth. They trusted vanity. They were speaking lies. Their works were iniquity. They ran to evil. They shed innocent blood. And it goes on and on and on about all of the wickedness that the children of Israel Israel were involved in and it goes on and on and on until you arrive in verse 14 and it gives us the diagnosis of what was wrong with the church do you know what was wrong with the people of Israel do you know what it was Isaiah says truth had fallen in the streets Truth had been forsaken. It's not that the children of Israel did not have truth. It's that they were not speaking it. It's not that they did not know who God was. It's that they were not serving him. It's not that they did not see others as being wicked. It's that they were living wicked too. It will be always be dangerous times for God's people when we're not living for God. It will always be dangerous times for the world when it's left to determine itself what truth is. How How can the world ever get to a place where they think they have the right to determine what truth is when the church is not standing and proclaiming as the pillar and ground of the truth exactly what truth is. When you don't determine truth. When we listen to people and they say things against God's word. When, when we listen to people and they say things against Jesus. When they say things against our Savior. When I, when you hear people say, well, I guess there's another way. Uh, you know, there might be another way. I mean, does it really have to be that way? Yes! But there is a way! Listen, we have to get to a point when we hear people say, well, you know, I think there's another way. When we get to a point where we hear people say, well, you know, I think that there might be another route. Well, you know, what they're really saying is, I don't know what I'm talking to, and I'm on my way to hell. Help me. But instead, we compromise. Well, you know what? I'm looking for a better opportunity. I'm looking for a better door. I'm looking for a better window. Maybe when there's not so many people around. Maybe when I won't be so confrontational. And maybe, maybe, you know, there's a way that I can make this easier and I need to think about it. Paul's urge to Timothy is stand, stand, stand. No retreats, no regrets. Give it all. Burn up, burn out for Jesus. Give all that you have because what we have here can change People's lives. Notice here, he says that this is the house of the living God. The house. This means, and this is the only place where God was. And this is the only place, meaning in terms of a building. Why? Because during this other time, we, we know, and we'll see this here in a few minutes, that during this time, there were other temples there. There were other buildings there where people gathered to worship. But Paul was very specific. This is the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. What does the pillars do? Pillars hold things up. and they're to, We are to hold up the word of God. We're not, we're not to make truth. We're not to create truth. We are to hold up the truth that already exists in this word. Forsake the thought processes of will they understand it. I'm worried that they're not going to understand what I'm trying to deliver them. I'm worried about the cadence of my speech. I'm, I'm worried that I may not deliver the gospel as fluently as I should preaching. Listen, stop worrying about will they believe it and start worrying about will the church start preaching this everlasting message, this everlasting gospel. Listen, I know what you're worried about, but realize this, Pilate had truth in front of him and still denied it. He had Jesus Christ right in front of him, and you know what Pilate tried to do when he heard truth, when he see truth, when he seen what innocence our Lord and Savior was. He tried to attempt to wash his hands from it, to remove the guilt of what was being placed upon our Lord. And we say, Pilate, of course that doesn't work. Pilate, of course, you know you're not going to wash your hands of your involvement with murdering our Lord. And yet, in the same breath, we try to we know what God has commanded us to do. We know that we're supposed to stand and preach. We know we're supposed to deliver this word to this nation, and yet in the same breath, we're much like Pilate, that we have the opportunities. We have the power. We don't even have to create the truth. It's right here. We just have to deliver it, but instead of delivering it, we're much like Pilate. We try to wash our hands from it and walk away. Well, Lord, you're sovereign. That's not what this says. Well, Lord, I know that you're going to save Those who you've chosen, that's not what it says. That's not what the Great Commission says. The Great Commission is commanded for us to preach the word. At this time, we see here that Paul's concern for his son in the faith and our concern for the future of our ministries is what will we do with the truth that God has entrusted to us? Ephesus is under attack. Our church is under attack. Ephesus is a mess at this time. If we can be honest with ourselves, we too can say our church, our our world, our nation is a mess at this time. Truth was at the risk of falling in the streets at Ephesus. Even today, it was so sad. i seen an article, even in our own nation, even within a few miles of us in Cincinnati, hundreds of people gathered together to be baptized. And when they got baptized, there was no repentance and there was no faith. They said they were saved by baptism and baptism alone. How sad that that is. How much that should break our hearts. How, How much that should grieve us. How much that should charge us. That we have to get the truth of God's word out. Paul encouraged and reminded Timothy, and this is where we are today. If the world is ever going to get truth. If the world is ever going to hear truth, then it's going to take the church being the pillar and ground of truth as it's called to be. Paul goes to say if I tarry long, meaning if I don't make it. I want to make it, but if I don't make it, and maybe Paul never made it. We don't even have the information to say whether Paul made it or not. Paul said I have written it down so that whoever reads it, the line is in the sand. There is only truth or false. There is only heeding the word or fleeing from the word there is either preaching or silence there is no in between we are either going to deliver the word or say nothing at all there is no in between in this command there is no in between on the command that we see here that is given to the church to be the pillar and ground of the truth will the church stand will the church stand Will we stand in these uncertain times? Do we realize that Satan is the master and deceiver? He cannot overcome God's word. His desire is to manipulate God's word. And that's why we must stay true to this book. This is why we must stay true to God's word. That's why we must read it. That's why we must wear it upon our hearts. This is why we must memorize it. This is why we must live by it. Recognizing it is the sole authority in our life. There's no reason to wait to get on fire. I've heard so many people say, you know what? I'm waiting for the right message. I'm just waiting for this right message that God is going to Give to me so that i he ignites inside of me this fire to preach. That he ignites inside of me this responsibility to preach. The truth is the responsibility was given to you the moment that God saved you. There is no waiting for a command. There's no waiting for the next play. There's no waiting for the next step. The next step is preach the word. The next step is deliver the word of God. We have to stop living a complacent Christian life. Paul tells Timothy, toe the line. Don't wait for me. I may not never make it, but this is how it should be now. He reminds Timothy, this is the house." Of God, meaning this is the family of God. Like a, a bishop, like a deacon, must rule his house well, and like his house must be in order. So should the house of God be in order. So should our doctrine be in order. And notice in verse fifteen, with the house of God, the house of God. Remember the times that they're in. Remember this false deity that they worship, Diana. This false goddess who had a temple, they said that this temple in Ephesus at this time was four times larger than the Parthenon in Greece. It said it was to have 127 pillars around it that it needed to hold it up. It said each one of the pillars was donated by some king or maybe by some ruler. The pillars were made, some were made by marble. Some were overlaid with gold. Some had jewels in them. But Paul says in verse 15, why is this so important? But Paul says in verse 15, this is how that one oughtest to behave himself in the house of God, in the family of God. This is to say, let me read this here. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, what Paul is saying in verse 15 is this is how one oughtest to behave themselves in the house of God, in the family of God. Why is this so important for us right here? Because behavior is connected to doctrine the behavior that Paul is encouraging the Timothy to preach to the people, the, the behavior that Paul is telling Timothy to have was because of the doctrine he had already delivered up to this point. And in verse 15, he continues on, and this is the house of God and the church of the living God. And this idolatry will not work here. Why? Idolatry doesn't work here because this is the house of the living God, and not the house of the false God, not the house of Diana. No, the God whom we serve and the God whom we come to worship. And this is the house of the living God. Paul provides further clarity. The God whom we serve, remind everyone, the God whom we serve, the God whom we worship, the God whom we come here to learn about and read about and pray to, he is very much alive and well. And make an intercession on our behalf behalf the God we serve is living even today and the church we serve with and the church that we serve in and the church at Ephesus and the church that we're in here today in all of our own churches should be the pillar and ground of the truth in the communities in which we are in and this is not only about how we should behave in the church, but this is also to say that one should learn how to live a way that their behavior is beneficial to the church, one that is beneficial uh, to the house of God, one that is beneficial to the word of God. It's bigger than just good behavior for the 3 hours that we're in the church 3 times a week. The church that this church that we are the members, we're called to uphold truth at all times. And also, in the same breath, we recognize that when we do not uphold truth, there is catastrophic consequences. I was thinking about this as I was studying and preparing about Samson. You know, Samson, who we know the story of him. He fell asleep in the devil's lap. And next thing you know, he fell into sin. But in the end of his life, he found himself in, in this place with the Philistines. And his hand was between two pillars. And God strengthened Samson. And those two pillars brought the entire building down. Just the loss of two pillars. Two pillars. Or we can even think about this temple built to Diana, 127 pillars. They held up the ceiling. They held up the next floor. You know, pillars are load-bearing. Pillars carry weight. And the church is the pillar in this ground for the truth. And this is the defense. When the church stops being the source of truth, when that which is supposed to be, it becomes unstable, and soon you will see a collapse. And we're called to hold to the doctrines. We're called to hold to the lines, even when it makes us uncomfortable. We're called to, to stand for truth, to uphold truth, even when it causes issues with our families, even when it causes issues with our friends, even when it causes issues with our loved ones, with our employer. We are called to hold up truth. And when it falls, and when truth falls in the streets, Soon the church will fall behind it. Proverbs 23, verse 23 says, Buy truth and sell it not. The church is to be this pillar and ground in the truth. He wants to clarify what truth is. Verse 16 we read here, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. The most important message that the church has today is the message of Jesus Christ. And this is the one whom history has been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3. And this is the one whom the prophet spoke of. And this is the central theme of the word of God. Listen, Paul made a beeline to this because you know why? He has never forgotten the old rugged cross and neither should we. He said in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. It, it, it was Jesus that changed Paul's life. And Jesus was Paul's story. And Jesus was Paul's song. And this is ours too. He was not in the race to be the best. He didn't care that he, if, whether he was the best speaker or not. Matter of fact, remember what he told the church at Corinth. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. It's not about the fluency of our speech. It's not whether we can doubt people with stories it's not whether we can captivate our attention with the flow of our voice what matters is truth. Paul said when I came to you listen I didn't have maybe the most fluent speech and maybe matter of fact I think in one place that he um he even said that of his speech that it was um it slipped my mind we'll move on but he he said that his his speech was um We're going to forget it. I thought it was going to come. but (laughs) So needless to say, he said it's not about fluency of speech. It's not about charisma. It's about truth. Matter of fact, Paul was so in love with truth that he had settled long ago. That wherever truth was being preached, it didn't matter whether it was in pretense. It doesn't matter whether it was in truth. If Christ is being preached, he was going to rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. He did not care about any message they had as long as Christ was being preached as long as Christ was being exalted that's all that mattered to him a matter of fact the reason that this epistle existed was not only to encourage Timothy it was to remind Timothy of what matters and that Christ must be the theme of our lore, our story the theme of our lives how we conduct ourselves how we live ourselves how a pastor behaves how a deacon behaves how a Christian behaves in all of this life and in the passions and desires that we have to preach this word is because of Christ. We have a world today asking the same question that Pilate asked so many years ago. What is truth? We see it all over the TV. We've seen it in the commercials. Now we know what truth is. We know what John 14 6 says that Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But what is the point? To be the pillar and ground in the truth. This is to be the place where truth is held up. This is to be the place where truth is defended. This is the place to be where truth is preached. This is where the word of God is lifted up. It helps us to understand verse 16. Why Paul lays out some fundamental church truths. In verse 16, And this is thought to be actually like an early song or an early creed that the believers sang in this time. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Verse 16, without controversy. And this is to say that with common confession, meaning this was easily said amongst the believers with no issues. And this was accepted amongst the believers at this time. Great is the mystery of godliness. Now, time cannot be given in this moment, in this setting, to deliver all that is behind that one sentence alone. Great is the mystery of godliness what could be said of the trinity what could be said that God became flesh what could be said that the creator became the creation but this great is this gospel message great is this message that was once veiled in the old testament but now unveiled in the new testament what is this mystery what is this message this message was that God was manifested in the flesh he who was invisible became visible who He who created the world was now in the world. He who had no need humbled himself to meet the needs of others. The fact that he came here and that he was fully man and yet he was fully God. That he came here and he who knew no sin became sin for us. That one time, before time even existed, the angels worshipped him and praised him and now he who was before time is now inserted himself into time. He who is eternal the self-existing person of the Godhead born in a stable and born in a stable in Bethlehem in a cradle, in a cradle that he created the tree for in a cradle that he set forth wrapped in swaddling clothes that he gave the mankind the ability to understand and comprehension to wrap to even make the swaddling clothes to wrap him in the one who created mankind became mankind great is this mystery of godliness and we could go on and on and on to say that even more on Calvary some 2,000 years ago. In the fullness of time, Jesus came and he died after living a sinless, spotless life. And there he died as the propitiation for my sins. There on that old rugged cross, there he died. And he was placed in a borrowed tomb because a borrowed tomb was all that he needed. And three days later, up from the grave he arose, triumph over death, hell, and the grave. This is the message that was preached for so many years to me. This was the message that was delivered to me and let me give you a little boost of encouragement. Listen, for many years this message was preached to me and on December 28th, 2008, in the confines of my own home. There was no one around me. There was no preacher next to me. No one was delivering me the word. I laid there on my couch flipping through television like I did every other night before. But there, that night, for the first time in my life, the Holy Spirit began to move upon me and the gospel message that was planted all those years ago sprung forth and brought forth new life. It troubled me in my own home. I got up and I left and I drove down and I called the preacher and I met the preacher and there the Lord saved me. Listen, listen, take encouragement this. I know that oftentimes we become discouraged when we deliver the word. We become discouraged when we preach the word. When we When when will we experience the fruit of all of our labor? When will we experience the fruit of upholding truth? When will we experience the reward? This big harvest, when, when, when? I got news for you. We may never see the fruits of all of our labor, but we still have the promise that his word will not return void. I wish, I wish that December 28th, 2008, when the Lord saved me, I would have loved to call up some of the people who invested into me. I would have loved to call up some of the people who, in some sense, gave of their time without a doubt. And I was rude, I was hard. But they kept coming and they kept knocking on my door and they kept preaching the word to me. I would have loved just to pick up the phone and call them and say, Oh, the Lord saved me. But they're dead. I'll never get the opportunity to tell them until they get the glory. And maybe they already know. We cannot be discouraged with the fruits of all of our harvest. We are called to sow the seed. We are called to preach the word. We are called to deliver truth. Because you do not know that the person you pass by the marathon gas station You don't know that the person you may see at at Walmart, that you deliver truth. Nothing may happen that day, but they cannot escape the truth of God's word. And you'll never know what may happen long after you're gone from here. And God may do a mighty work because you wanted to be the pillar and ground of the truth. This is the call of the church This is the call in our very own lives, that we will uphold this, that we will preach this word. This text goes on to say, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, they announced his birth. They ministered unto him after his temptation. They rolled away the stone at the resurrection. First Peter chapter 3 and 18 says, he preached to the ones who were in prison. According to Colossians chapter 2 and 15, he let them know that he was triumphing over them. It was preached unto the Gentiles. And after this resurrection, the great commission would be given. And you know what happened when people heeded the great commission? Souls started to be saved. And by the way, this girl, Great Commission that these people were on, they would go and they would preach the word of God, and this would send a man by the name on a a by the name a man by the name of Saul on a mission to stop the Great Commission. And you know what? He would soon find out that God had a specific plan for even him in this ministry. And we read this word today, encouraged because we recognize the power of the gospel. We recognize what happens when people who were willing to all of these apostles who would be put to death save one for the cause of Christ and all these people who were willing to die listen we read about it we heard the stories of the catacombs we can look up Fox's book of martyr people who were willing to give it all for truth they were willing to give the very life they had for the word of God and so many times there's nothing at risk there's no worries in front of us No worries about life. No threats to our freedom. And we can't even deliver the word. We can't even give them the gospel message. We're too afraid to hand out a simple gospel track. One of the greatest missionaries that I personally knew was saved. You know how he was saved? Because one person in our church knocked on his door gave a gospel track. Do You know what happened with the gospel track? They put it in their dining room drawer for years, years. And you know what happened? Five years later, this man was on a pursuit for truth, raised up in a Catholic church. He was on a pursuit for truth. One day he was sitting in the dining room and found the gospel track. And you know what? He read it. You know what happened five years after that gospel tract was handed out? He ended up at the Witten Place Baptist Church, and there God saved him and mightily used him and is still using him today. How? Why? Somebody was faithful to deliver the word of God. We do not know what God will do with us if we'll just commit ourselves to deliver the word if we'll just commit ourselves to give the gospel track, if we'll just commit ourselves to preach the word that was believed on in the world, what does that mean? It means that this message that happened so many miles away, believed on in the world, if you're here today and you're sitting with somebody who you know they're saved, and you can look to the right and you can look to the left and understand what it means, believed on in the world. Because if you're here and you're saved today, that is what the gospel has done. It has been believed on in the entire world. Received up into glory. If time would give Acts chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. This is how fitting it would end here. Where is Jesus? He is sitting. He is in glory. Sitting next to our heavenly father. Making intercession for us on our behalf. And this is the message we're called to defend. And this is where all of our faith rests. In Jesus Christ. Church. Church. It is a challenge even to myself, not monthly, not yearly, not weekly, not only daily, but moment by moment, I am reminded that I am a member of one of the Lord's New Testament church. And I am reminded by moment by moment, as I look at the news, as I can see the condition of the world, that I have been called to put my hand up in these uncertain times, and uphold the truth, to defend the truth, to stand for the truth, without fear, without fret, without worry. Why? How can we do this? How can we do this? Because we've taken faith that the Word of God is just as powerful as it says it is. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to even be here to preach your Word, Lord. Lord, I I pray that you'll challenge us. Lord, I pray that you'll charge us. Lord, strengthen us. Make us bold for your word. Not in harsh manners, but in a loving way, Lord. Realizing that there are so many without hope. Lord, may we be reminded of daily where we were when we were without you. May we be reminded daily of what it means, of what it means to be lost Oh, could there ever be a more dreadful word, a more scary diagnosis, a more dreadful diagnosis in the entire world, more scarier than cancer, more scarier than anything, to hear that your condition is lost? Oh, God, strengthen your people in these uncertain times. Help us to not get up and get caught up in these politics and the things that do not matter in this life. You didn't call us to uphold politics. You didn't call us to uphold political situations. You didn't call us call us to uphold what's going to happen next in the nation. You've called us to uphold the truth. May we never forget what the call is for your church. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We love you, and we lift your name up, and we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, bless this meeting May we leave here charged, Lord. Continue to bless the next preachers that are coming, Lord. We thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.